Matthew chapter 24, it says, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these things, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the mountain of olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not return back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look... He's in the wilderness. Do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near. At the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. 
But know this, that if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect. For who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour that he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, this is a subject that can cause some problems if we get a misunderstanding of it. As you look through Paul's letters, he often commended people and churches by three things. He commended them according to their faith, their hope, and their love. When you read through chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, you find that the Paul immediately commends them for two out of those three. He commends them for their faith, And he commends them for their love, but they're struggling a little bit in their hope. And when he gets to chapters 4 and 5, we find that he begins to help correct them in their hope. And the problems that they were having with their hope was twofold. One was they were confused about the people among them that were dying. Because they were looking forward to Christ coming back. They were thinking it would happen very soon. And the problem that they're having is what happens to the people that are dying Before he comes back. Have they missed him? He writes to them and he says they haven't missed him. They're going to get to go before you. When Christ comes back, he's going to resurrect the dead and then he's going to catch up the rest of the believers unto himself. And so they actually beat you there. And another problem that they were having is that some people were assuming that he was going to come back so fast that they were quitting their jobs. They were just going to hang out and get ready for Christ. We don't want to miss it. We don't want to be at work when it happens. We're just going to be ready. And the Apostle Paul would end up writing to them and say, look, if you don't work, you don't eat. (laughs) Go back to work. And so he corrected their misunderstandings as well. Well, you know what? Even in our day, we see confusion over this thing as well. Every once in a while, somebody sets a date for the end of the world or for the return of Christ. And I'm thankful that usually when somebody sets or when somebody sets a date, as I heard one preacher say before, that we know one thing for sure, that's the day it's not going to happen. And his reasoning was there's no way God will stick us in heaven with eternity for the guy saying, I told you so. The Bible tells us we don't know when that date is, but it also tells us to be watching, to be looking, to be anticipating. It can be a little bit confusing. In fact, when we get to this kind of issue, when we're looking at future events, I think we have to enter that subject humbly. I would never divide with another Christian over an interpretation of future events or or fulfilled prophecies in the future or a timeline because, one, I think that they're still Christian brother, so I shouldn't separate from them. Two, is oftentimes when you're doing these things, you're trying to piece together prophetic passages from different places around the Bible, and it can be very confusing. And I look back at Jesus' first coming, And Jesus' first coming happened a way that none of the disciples, nobody else expected it to, even though they had prophecies pointing toward it. And so I figure, you know what, if they can get confused on His first coming, I recognize that I can get confused on His second coming as well. And so I do think that we need to walk into this subject humbly. Now, as we do look at it, I do think that there is, uh, obviously as I'm going to teach you this morning, I do think that there is a clear uh, understanding within Scripture um, but at the same time, I recognize that others, in fact, my wife and I, Lisa and I, have this discussion every once in a while. And she tells me this. She said, you know what, David Jeremiah is a man that's been in the ministry longer than you, and he thinks that we're getting taken out of here before the tribulation. And I, I'm, I think I'm going to go with him on this one. 
<laughs> I don't want to be around during the tribulation. And I said, you know what? I hope David Jeremiah is right too. <laughs> I would rather get out of here before the tribulation too. But as I look at Scripture, I just really don't think that that is the case. And mainly because, mainly because of, of a simple understanding, like they say when we study the Bible, if the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense, lest you fall into nonsense. And I think that the plain, simple understanding of Matthew chapter 24 puts us leaving at a little bit different time. My main desire this morning is to understand Matthew 24, so we're not going to leave it much. But Jesus refers to Daniel, what Daniel talked about, and so we're going to go there a little bit. Revelations, as you look at Revelation uh, chapters uh, 6 and 7, it parallels Matthew 24 very much, so I'm going to allude to that a little bit. But the main thing I want to do is go through Matthew 24. Now, the subject matter is the return of Christ. The disciples come to Jesus and ask him two questions. Jesus had just told them after they were enamored with the buildings of the temple, Jesus told them, I'm telling you the truth, every stone of that temple is going to be taken off there. It's all going to be destroyed. And that actually was literally fulfilled in A.D. 70 when Rome came through and sacked Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. The disciples then turned to Jesus and say, tell us when is this going to happen and the end of the age. And Jesus predominantly answers that latter part of the question, the end of the age. What are the signs going to be for the end of the age? There's kind of three sections of Matthew 24 that describe consecutively periods of time or, or phases that we're going to go through as we come up toward the end of the world. The first one that he points out is what he calls birth pains. And this is the part where Jesus tells us you're going to start to see some things happening. And so you're going to see false Christ. You're going to see wars and rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes in various places, so natural disasters. And those things are going to escalate as we get closer to the end. But notice what he commands them to there. I think it's in, I think it's in verse 6. He says, the end is not yet. So he's given them things to watch for. Giving them signs to watch for. He says, when you see these things, this is what I want you to know. We're not there yet. We're not at the end yet. Now, a lot of times we focus so much on the other end of things where we say, you got to be ready. You gotta, he could come at any moment. You've got to be ready all the time. There's actually a time period where Jesus says, this is what I want you to know. We're not there yet. He's going to give us some things that, that you can't really miss them kinds of signs. Right? These kind of signs, we see wars in our day. In fact, 20th century, they said, had more wars in it than the whole history of the world combined. And so we see the escalation of wars in our day. But how do you know when it's escalated enough? You can't really measure that, right? Well, when it gets toward the next phase, Jesus is going to give us something that you just can't miss. But at this point, he's just saying, look, it's not yet. You're seeing all these troubling things happening, these famines happen, all this stuff. We're still not there. We're not there yet. But he said it is. It is getting close. It's like he compares it to birth pains. And birth pain is something that troubles you, that gets your attention, lets you know it's getting close, but we're not quite there yet. I remember when Daniel was born, we were at Carrie and Craig's house, Lisa's sisters and her brother-in-laws, and we were there playing a game at the dining room table. And all of a sudden, Lisa would get a, get a contraction. And pretty soon they were getting close enough that we had, she had a napkin there on the table. And we'd start timing her contractions. How close together are they? Are they getting any worse? So we had this napkin on the table that she's writing these things down and kind of monitoring, monitoring her contractions. And it finally got to a place where there was enough of them close enough together where we said, oh, we better get out of here. It's getting really close. Don't want to have them in the car on the way there. So let's, let's get going. Well, that's what Jesus said. Look, a lot of these things that we're going to see magnified he says that's what they are. They're birth pains. They're letting you know we're getting closer, but we're not there yet. And so be aware, 
but not anxious. We have an understanding of what's going on. You know, when we have things like uh, uh, the hurricanes one after another, and we have all these different uh, calamities that take place, natural disasters, it often makes it off, gets my attention. And I think, boy, we often have hurricanes, but not uh, one right after another like that. Are we getting closer? Maybe. I don't, you know, I don't know. But it kind of, you're, you're kind of watching. You know, it's not yet. But you're also aware that it could be it could be getting closer. As we look through verses four through fourteen, that's what Jesus is describing at that point. Now, if you compare that to Revelation chapter six, Revelation chapter six, John is just beginning to get his look into the future, and what he sees is a scroll with seven seals around it. And what the scroll I believe represents is the day of the Lord. The Lamb is going to start to loosen the seals off of the scroll. Every seal that's taken off, something happens. Well, if you read through that Revelation 6, with each seal that comes off, one of these birth pains is is focused on. And so Revelation 6, with those six seals coming off of there, and the birth pains that Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 24, seem to be talking about exactly the same thing. And so it's it's an interesting look for you to check out later. So we see that the first part of it that Jesus points out is birth pains. He says, you're going to see these things happen. Don't worry, it ends not yet, but it is getting close. But then he goes on to the next section in verses 15 through 28, and he describes the great tribulation. If you notice at the end of this passage that we just were talking about in verses 14 and just before that, one of the last things that he talked about was tribulation. He said, you know what, you're going to be, you're going to be persecuted. It would be the fifth seal that's opened off of the scroll. You're going to be put under this persecution, and at a greater degree, we're going to suffer persecution. And then it gets up to verse 15, and he's, and then now all of a sudden that persecution that they've been suffering is going to just take a huge leap. Notice in verse 15 what it says. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, and then he calls to let the reader understand, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. The the center of the tribulation at that time, of tribulation as in the events that are taking place, is going to start in Jerusalem. And it's going to start with this event called the abomination of desolation. And he says when that happens, he said if you're up on the rooftop, sounds weird to us. We don't hang out on our roofs. In Jerusalem, they do. They get a nice cool evening breeze up there. Their roofs are flat. We're, we're thinking about ice dams and getting the snow off the roof. They're thinking about a place, cool place to enjoy the evening. And so it's different. He says, if you're on your roof, now how do you get from your roof to the street? You gotta go through the house. He's saying, don't even slow down to grab your pictures. Okay, don't even, don't even stop to grab your coat on the way out the door. He's saying, just get out of town. And then he says, if you're out in the field, just go on, go into hiding. Don't, don't bother coming home. Because there's going to be such a persecution that breaks out in Jerusalem, and then it'll expand from there. It'll start in Jerusalem and go all over the world. And he says, when that happens, just get out of town. Now, you see what starts this great tribulation is an event. He calls it the abomination of desolation, spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Well, if we go back to the prophet Daniel, then we see what Daniel is talking about. Chapter 9, verse 27. Daniel is talking about a time that's going to come at the end of the world that's seven years long. And he says that in the midst of that, in the middle of that, 
time period, there's going to be this abomination of desolation. It says, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. This is talking about, this is talking about the Antichrist, and he's going to make a covenant with the nation of Israel for seven years. It says in here in the passage, it says for one week. Literally what it means is one seven. The Antichrist will make a covenant with Israel for one week, for one seven year period, a week of years. And it says, and for half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and the offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decree is end is poured out on the desolator. We have an example of it in history. In between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, Antiochus Epiphanes went into the temple and he desecrated the temple. He came marching into Jerusalem, he went into the temple, and he took a pig, which is an unclean animal to the Jews, and he sacrificed it on the altar of God, desecrating the temple. Well, the priesthood at that time was made up of a family called the Maccabees, and the Maccabees revolted and took back over the temple. So we have kind of a picture of this idea of this abomination of desolation. Now, we know that that's not the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy, because Jesus comes along, and in Matthew 24, Jesus said that which Daniel talked about is still in the future. So that Maccabees gave us a glimpse of what it would be like, but it wasn't the full fulfillment of it. Jesus said that, time, that day is still coming. It's still going to happen. And it points forward to when the Antichrist is going to come into the temple, and he's going to, I don't know what he's going to do to de- desecrate it. Maybe he'll offer an unfit sacrifice again, but we don't know for sure. But the Bible says that he's going to exalt himself as God and proclaim himself to be God from within the temple. Now, when you stop and think about it, obviously, there has to be at least one thing happen before that can happen. There's no temple. There's got to be a temple. So I think that's probably going to be part of the covenant with Israel is they're going to be able to rebuild their temple. And so Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, that's when the great tribulation starts. Um, Daniel chapter 11, he mentions it again. It says, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortresses, and he shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. And then in chapter 12, he says, And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. In the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, you see that repeatedly. It will talk about three, this three-and-a-half-year time period. Sometimes in the book of Revelation it will say, Uh, 42 months. So many times around it, he also says 1,260 days, which is exactly three and a half years. And so we know that it's three and a half years. So that seven-year time period that Daniel speaks of, exactly in the middle of that is the abomination of desolation. And that's what Jesus is referring to there. So when we look at what we have so far, what what, what do we understand? We understand that this abomination of desolation that Jesus talks about kicks off the great tribulation before that time. Jesus referred to the time before that as being birth pains. He says, you, know, you will know when things are starting to happen. And when things are starting to happen is because this guy's going to go in and commit this abomination of desolation. He said, when you see this, now you know. Now it's here. And then as we go on from there, in verse 29, it says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and they will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call and they 
will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And so now what we see is at the end of the, of the great tribulation time, because remember Jesus said if that time continued, nobody would survive. But for the sake of the elect, it's cut short. And the elect are taken out. And so then it starts talking about when Jesus will come and now the, the elect, the gathering of the elect happens. And then after that is finally, oh, you can't even read that with it up there with the color, but it's the wrath of God that is poured out on the world. If you read the rest of the book of Revelation, that's what happens after that. So as we look at Matthew, when we get to chapters 29, or verses 29 through 51, then we begin to see that now the elect are being gathered out. And that's Jesus' point really for the rest of the chapter. So we've seen the birth pains. He says it's not happening yet. Then you see the abomination of desolation. Now you know we're getting really close. And then you're going to see these cosmic disturbances. The sun darkened, the moon turned to blood, stars falling from the sky. You can't miss this. Nobody in the world can miss this. And then he says shortly after that, then we have the gathering of the elect. Now, you start to say, well, now wait a minute. He tells us nobody will know when this is going to happen. If nobody knows when it's going to happen, then how can we really have it this well known? Because we know that once the covenant is made at the beginning, we know that it's going to be seven years for the whole thing. When we see the abomination of desolation, then we know that we're right in the middle of it. We know that we're exactly 1,260 days from the end of the tribulation. And so once we see this, we kind of know everything. So what is the mystery? It's not true. What we don't know is right here. It's not until he gets to this part where he says, Now, nobody knows the day or the hour, but you know that it's coming. He says, This generation, no more generations. This generation will not pass before all these things take place. It's coming. It's all here. And so there's to be this heavy anticipation of the return of Christ at that point. Revelation, it's also at the point where we find the sixth seal of the scroll, which is, it's the sun being darkened, moon turned to blood, and the stars fall, exactly like what Jesus mentions here. And then all of a sudden, you hit chapter 7, and there's this huge multitude of people in heaven. And this angel comes up to John and asks John, who is this group of people? And John says, I don't know. You tell me. And the angel says, these are the elect that were taken out of the Great Tribulation. Now, there's some question, because people say, well, now wait a minute. It it can't be then, because the return of Christ is supposed to be imminent. It's supposed to be, it could happen at any time. It can happen, it can happen right now. We're supposed to be waiting for it to happen right now. But I would, I would say to you that if you take the passages within their context in the Bible, you do not find that. There is definitely a command to watch, watching for the signs, watching for the times, and recognizing seasons. But you know what? I remember early in my, in my Christian walk, I memorized some verses about the imminent return of Christ. Matthew chapter 24, verse 44. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. But Matthew chapter 24 and verse 44, what is the context of Matthew 24, 44? The context is birth pains, it's not yet. You see the abomination of desolation. Now the return of Christ is imminent. Now it could be at any moment. Up until that time, he said, you know that it's not yet. Watch for the signs. Recognize the seasons. 
I think the same thing in First Thessalonians. We often focus on this because it talks about, just as it did in, in, in Matthew, uh, Jesus points it out that it comes like a thief in the night, that people will be surprised. Well, the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Thessalonian church, says the same things. He says, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anyone anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Again, you have to look at the context of it, because right after that in First Thessalonians chapter 5, the next verses say, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. He's saying, look, you shouldn't be surprised. Look, the coming of Christ is going to be surprising, but it's not going to be surprising to the Christians. It's going to be surprising to the lost world. The example that he gives of it here in Matthew chapter 24 is the flood. Everybody's going to be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, he's saying everybody's going to be going about their daily lives. They're getting up, getting ready for work, going to work just like they did yesterday. And then, boom, here it comes. It catches them off guard and it catches them by surprise. Now, in that analogy, where was Noah? Did he catch Noah by surprise? No. Noah wasn't surprised. He was in the ark. Why was he in the ark? Because he knew it's, it's time. <laughs> he might not have known the exact day or the hour, but he knew, boy, it's, it's close. He got in the ark. God sealed the door. And then here it comes. Noah was not surprised. Noah was anticipating. And that's exactly when you look in at this passage in Thessalonians, who is it that's surprised? The people that live in darkness. He says, you're children of the light. It's not going to take you by surprise. Should never take you by surprise because you're a child of light. In other words, you're a child of God. You're you're a believer. Who does it take by surprise? It takes those who are in darkness by surprise. Jesus does the same thing. Look look back in Matthew chapter 24. There, it says in verse 45, Jesus gives his own analogy. It says, "Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes." Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But notice verse 48. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him in the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Notice again in Jesus' analogy, who is it that's surprised by the event? The people that are surprised by the event are the wicked servants. They're the ones that live in darkness. They're the, they're the unbelievers. They're the children of darkness, not the children of light. That's Jesus' whole point in, this, in his teaching up to this point, is he tells his disciples, be able to read the signs of the times, look at these things, know that we're getting closer, but we're not yet. Be able to endure this persecution that's going to start. It's going to get even worse. And then these days of great tribulation are going to be cut short because I'm going to come in and deliver you, and then I'm going to pour out my wrath upon unrepentant, non-believing mankind on the face of the earth. So we're delivered from that wrath. And so when, when somebody says to me, well, how do, you, how do you have the motivation for Christian living if you don't know that Jesus might come by the time I'm done talking here? It's easy. I'm watching the signs, and I know he's going to come. I don't expect it to be today or tomorrow. I expect that they have to build a temple first and the abomination of desolation has to happen and there are some things that have to take place in order for this to happen. But you know what? I'm doing exactly what Jesus told the disciples to do. I'm watching the signs of the times. Not only that, but to be honest with you, I think it gives me a greater impulse toward faithful Christian living than when I used to think of Christ's return as imminent did. Because I'm realizing that Christ might not come back 
until I face some very severe persecution. And so I ask myself a different question. Will I hold up? Will I be faithful? Well, when I have to make a decision between my life and my faith, which will I choose? Well, by choosing faith, I will be choosing life, actually. But I recognize there's a, there's a reality to it. And so I guess if I was to do anything, I would kind of turn the question around and say, if you're thinking that Jesus is going to pull you out before you have to face anything like that, are you going to be ready to face it when it comes? You see, the, the, the real crux of the matter is not whether one way is more beneficial to my life or another way is more beneficial to my mindset. That's really not the issue. The issue is really only one thing. What does the Bible teach? What was Jesus explaining to us right here? And I think when we follow a simple reading of the book of Matthew, recognize the correlations in Revelation and Daniel, I see that I think there's a pretty simple plan. I think the most important thing is for us to know where we're at in not history but the future. We don't need to be setting dates. We just need to be watching signs. We just need to be, we just need to be looking forward. I'm looking forward to when Christ comes and I get to become a part of His kingdom. Well, as we look through the book of Matthew and we outline it simply, that's what it is. We see the birth pains. We see the great tribulation that comes right off the heels of the, of the abomination of desolation. We see the gathering of God's elect as He pulls us out of this world before His wrath begins to be poured full measure.